So today we are in the book of 1 Peter. So we're looking at uh, our series, Strangers and Exiles. We're continuing in that series, um, looking at what it's like to be a stranger in exile, what it's, what it's like to be uh, someone who lives in a world that is not their home. So what, what does that mean? What does it look like? How do we, how do we uh, live our lives? So we've gone through a few uh, messages already. Uh, the first thing we started, we started talking about the fact that we are called out ones. We're the called out ones uh, that God's called us out. He's chosen us as a, as a chosen race, a, a royal priesthood, and, and that we are a people for his own possession, uh, those who have faith in Jesus Christ. So there's something special and unique, but, but typically what we, and what we saw is that, that Christ followers don't always show themselves as special and unique. They, they try to blend back into the community or to the culture that they live, and that's not what we're called to do. We're called out. So when we're called out, we're called out from something that we were in, and that was uh, the world. Uh, and then we were given a reminder that we, as, as the called out ones, as those living as strangers and exiles, uh, we, we don't fit in with the world around us, and that's okay. And then as we don't fit in, as we live in this world that's not our home, we have this reminder to continue to rejoice in, in the salvation that God has given us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And then last week we talked about this, this settled hope and, and this, the necessity for a settled hope. And, and for strangers and exiles, as we are foreigners to this world, living in a world that's not our home, we should have a settled hope that's in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and Peter encouraged uh, the readers here, the, the Christians that were reading this, the, the uh, people living in exile at that time, he said, listen, you ought to be sober-minded. And we talked a lot about that last week, and, and I know some of those were really hard truths and hard-hitting, but sometimes we need that. We need to understand that when we look at the Word of God and, and when we think, well, it's not really for today, or, or those things kind of sound harsh, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to believe something else when it comes to this one thing, uh, we're changing the Word of God, and we aren't being sober-minded. We're, we're being drunk. We're looking at the, the Word of God through beer goggles, and, and that's not what we ought to be doing. We ought to be sober-minded, looking at the world around us through the lenses of Scripture, and how it informs our lives. So uh, last week was, was having a settled hope, not uh, free from anxiety, and, and, and uh, to live in a way that, that settles us and anchors us on God's Word. And today, uh, our message title is, If You Have Tasted, If You Have Tasted. Uh, the message notes are available for you uh, online if you want to pick those up as well and follow along, but uh, If You Have Tasted. And so we're going to see Peter continue this, this theme as he, as he talks about these strangers and exiles, people who are called out uh, by God to, to be his chosen people, to be uh, a people for his own possession. What does it look like for those, and what are some attributes of those people? And so we're going to see that today. And, and today is a really interesting uh, title. It says, if you've tasted, and that if, we'll talk about it in a few minutes, but that if is really important for us to understand, because that's what makes all the difference. If we, if we settle the if, it makes all the difference in what we will exhibit in our lives as Christ followers. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get into our text today in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to finish out chapter 1 and go into chapter 2, uh, three verses deep. So let's pray together, and then we'll get to the Word. Father, we, we stop and, and thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. We know that uh, as, as people who are called out, called out to be people of your, for your own possession, that God, we, we do not fit in to this world. This world is not our home. So God, give us comfort in that. Give us comfort as we know and we understand that, that we are strangers and exiles. And God, today as we continue to venture into what Peter is saying to the, to the church, to those strangers and exiles, God, I pray that you would help us open our hearts and our minds to be receptive as well, that we would see ourselves in the text, that we would understand uh, how, how deep, deeply responsible we are to live 
uh, in this world like it is not our home so that we can show the goodness and graciousness of God. So God, guide us and be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in 1 Peter in chapter 1. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 22, and we'll end the chapter, and then we'll go into uh, chapter 2 through verse 3. Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for one another, from a pure heart, love one another constantly, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like, like grass, and all, and, and all its glory like a flower uh, of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants desire pure milk of the word so that you might grow up in your salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good. Well, that's our text for today, and I, I want to go back to that if uh, as we look at that. Uh, when we say if you've tasted, uh, it's, here's how I would uh, help you understand this a little bit. There, there's, uh, you go to Costco, right, and, and you, go to the, you go to Costco and you're there during lunch hour, and, and it hasn't been for a while because of all these COVID restrictions, but back in the day, right, the good old days, uh, we were at Costco, and we'd go to Costco, and, and on every other aisle, there was this nice lady there uh, with an apron and, and a little microwave or a little, little skillet or something, and they were fixing up some good food, right? And, and what would we get? We'd get this little sampler from Costco, and, and the samplers were, were great. I mean, some people I know that they'd go there just to have lunch, and they'd, they'd sample everything, and they'd leave full. Uh, okay, but listen, that, that's not really satisfying, is it? That, when you have that little sample, that little taste test, and they know that, by the way. Costco knows that that little sample won't really satisfy. In, in fact, they're, they're counting on it. They're counting on you eating that sample and wanting more. And that's how it should be with our relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and I, I want to make sure you understand that, that, that as we go through the text today, as we, as we talk through the scriptures, as we're encouraged by the word, you ought to be asking yourself constantly that question, if, if I've tasted. And, and that question really is, have I tasted? And have I done more than taste? Have I really feasted? Have I come, become satisfied on Christ, that, that he is my total satisfaction? Or are you just using as a sample platter? You're sampling a little bit of this, and oh, I like Sunday mornings, and I, oh, I like my, my live stream, or I, oh, I, oh, it's nice to hear uh, an encouraging thing, but... But outside of that, there's not really anything that's changed in your life. Because when, when we have Christ as Savior, when we, when we actually receive Him and that He totally satisfies, everything changes. See, here's the difference. Uh, it, it's, it's the difference between the Costco sampler and saying you're satisfied going to lunch there versus going to the Outback Steakhouse and buying their 8-ounce New York steak. Or, or whatever restaurant you like, Olive Garden or Red Robin or whatever you might like to go to. Maybe you do better at your own home. And when you, when you experience that, those Costco samples pale in comparison. So I, I want us to understand that there is, there is a, a, a sense of faith, quote-unquote faith, right? Uh, Pseudo-faith that really doesn't satisfy and is really more like a Costco sampler. And there is a faith that really does satisfy and is really more feasting on a full meal, getting all aspects of it, and, and, and understanding it fully. So we'll see that today as we go. 
the question really is, are you a stranger in exile of the world, or are you a stranger in exile of God's kingdom? I hope that you could say, I'm, I'm in God's kingdom, and I'm a stranger in exile to the world around me. So today we're looking at uh, if you've tasted, and, and number one, our first point here is this, if you've tasted, you'll show sincere love for one another. You'll show sincere love for one another. Back to our text in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, it says this, Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly. Now let's look at the first part of this. It says, since you have purified yourself by your obedience to the truth. Well, what does this mean? It means that this is a since I've done something, then I can. So you can't show love without having first started here. It says, since you purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth. Well, we see this in John 6. Uh, what, what are we to be obedient to? What, what is the work that God requires of us? What is he expecting of us? And Jesus answered this question. He said, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one that he has sent. We have to believe in the one he has sent. We have to put our faith in trust. And we have to believe why he came. He didn't just come as a good teacher or as a friend, as a good, good person. He came as God in the flesh to give himself as an atonement for your sin. He died in your place on a cross so that you could be forgiven. See, you and I have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We've separated ourselves from God by our sin. And we are altogether evil and bad and altogether have rejected God by our sin. And we, have, we, we were eternally condemned in that as well. But God has pursued us and God wants us to have have a relationship with him. So he made a way. There is a way that, that can be made only through Christ. Otherwise, there is no way. There's no way that you can earn your way or, or stand before God saying, God, I, I did it. I finally did enough to please you and stand before you pure. God says, no, there's no way. You can only be purified through putting your faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done. So since you've been purified or you purified yourself by being obedient to the truth, and we actually see that in verse 25. We just read that a minute ago. Uh, verse 25 talks about this word that we're obedient to, the truth, is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. That, that the gospel, the message of Christ and, and salvation for all who would believe was proclaimed to you. And that when we believe, when we put our faith in Christ, when we empty ourselves and say, it's not about me anymore, it's all about him, we become obedient to the truth. So once we become obedient to the truth, God says he cleanses us from our sin. He, he erases our sin. He wipes our sin away. He buries them on the bottom of the ocean floor. He separates them as far as the east is from the west. So we have been purified. That's what it means to be purified. And then we can love. Then we can love people. So if our sins have been removed, if we've experienced this great mercy and love of God, then we can love. I want to read a passage out of 1 John chapter 4. Starts in verse 7. It says this Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. So there's a, there's a correlation here. Love is from God. So we love each other because love is from God and we've experienced that love. It goes on. It says, Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. So now it's showing the example here of God's love. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. See, we were separated from God by our sins and, and death was the natural course. But God came into the world in the form of Jesus Christ, put on human flesh. He suffered and died and was given to us uh, and then he rose from, the, rose from the dead victoriously. 
that we could put our faith and trust in him and have life, that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. So there's this example, but it's, it's not just an example. I think a lot of people think, oh, God, God is love, so I'll just love. And I try to muster up the strength to love. And, and it's hard sometimes because a lot of people are unlovable. But what this text is telling us is that it's really impossible just to follow an example. It has to have come from God. We've seen it in God. He's shown it to us, but we've received his love because we received the life that he's given us through Jesus Christ. And only when we receive that life, then God's love is in us and that love can, can overflow out of us to the world around us. It's when we know love personally that we can love since we've received his love. I want to share a story out of Matthew chapter 18. This is a a, a story that, that Jesus shared after Peter approaches him. Peter says this, he says, Lord, how many times must I forgive a brother who's, or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? And he's trying to be clever here. He thinks that, oh, it's, it's, it's right to forgive someone at least three. He'll, he'll double it and add one. How about seven times? Am I, am I really a holy person if I forgive someone seven times? Well, Jesus responds, he says, I tell you, not, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. It's just infinitely forgiving, continually forgiving. Uh, for this reason, he, he tells a story. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle the accounts, one of them who owed 10,000 talents, tons of money, uh, was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he and his wife and his children and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I'll pay you back everything. Then the master, of the, servant, uh, the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. Interesting right there, isn't it? That there was a debt to be paid. And see, there is a debt to be paid. It's, it's like our debt because of our sin to Jesus. But in grace and in mercy and in love, he has chosen through faith, our faith in him, to forgive us that debt. Well, the story goes on. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, a little bit of money, nothing compared to what he owed his master. And he grabbed him and he started choking him and, and said, pay what you owe. This is after he had been forgiven of the debt. At this, his fellow servant fell down and, and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and, and went out and repeated their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly Father will do this to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from the heart. You see, we, if we've tasted and seen, if we've tasted the mercy of God, if we've understood the depth from which we've been forgiven, we cannot help out of the overflow of our joy 
and, and out of thankfulness, we cannot help to extend that mercy to those around us. And Jesus gives this command. I, he said, I give you a new command. You're to love one another. Again, there's this, this motivation, though. There's, I love one another. Just as I have loved you, you're also to love one another. Well, how did Jesus love? He, he loved by giving himself as a sacrifice for our sins. He laid his life down for us. Says, by this, you will know that you are my, they will know, everyone will know, you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, this is showing that, that if we have tasted and seen, if we have tasted, then we will show sincere love for one another. And that is going to be an attribute of a stranger in exile. Why? Because when people see your love for one another, they will know that you are Christ's disciples. When people see your love for one another, they will know that you are a stranger in exile to this world because there's a supernatural love that we have. See, when we are people of deep vertical faith, we become a people who can love others horizontally. So you, you settle things with Jesus and, and what he's given you in mercy and grace and what he's poured out in you and lavished on you, now we can spread horizontally in relationship to other people. There's a story of a, a Vietnam vet who was in battle in Vietnam, and, and uh, while he was in battle with his company, he, he, they were attacked by the enemy, and the, the enemy just overran uh, this, this whole group of, of soldiers, and, and guys were laying all over on the ground dead, and, and, and he, he, laid, he laid down. He couldn't, he couldn't fire enough. He couldn't, he couldn't fight enough. There were so many of them. He laid down. But what he realized is the soldiers were coming through and doing this push through, and as they were doing this push, they were shooting any soldier on the ground just to make sure that they were done. And they were getting closer and closer to him, and he was certainly afraid for his life and knew that, it, that death was imminent. Well, all of a sudden, some ducks far off uh, spooked out of a pond and flew off. And as they're quacking and squeaking and squawking, the soldiers turned their attention from the rest of the men on the ground to these ducks, and they thought, well, we're going to have a fun day. Let's go out and shoot at these ducks. So they were distracted, and they went off. And by the time they were done with that, they said, oh, it's, we're done. Let's leave this field. And, and this, this man who laid there still was now still alive and had not been shot. So later on, we, we see the story fast forward. He's stateside, and, and, and he's sitting next to this pond, and he's, he's feeding these ducks. And, and the, son, the son asks his dad, well, who, what's this man doing? Why is he feeding the ducks? How does he, why does he do this all the time? And, and this, the father recounts the story he knew of this man. And, and, and the, the point was this. He was loving and serving these ducks because they had saved his life or ducks had saved his life, but he had this connection. And, and for, for you and I, it's, it's like this. He loves because he lives. He loves because he lives. Listen, you and I may not feel like we've survived a battle in Vietnam and been saved, but you and I, who have faith in Jesus Christ, have not only survived a battle with Satan and, and, and separation from God because of our own sin, we have been rescued by God, and we are no longer condemned by our sin, but now we live because Christ lives. And, and because we live, we also should love deeply. So do you. If you've tasted, you love sincerely those around you, your brothers and sisters. Do you. Maybe you haven't tasted if you do not. Number two, if you've tasted... You've been transformed by the Word. You've been transformed by the Word of God. Going on in our passage in 1 Peter chapter 1, 
looking at verses 23 through chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, it says, Because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all of its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. It starts off talking about because you've been born again. And this stems from the very first part of the passage. Since you purified yourselves uh, by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other, from a a pure heart, love one another constantly. Again, it goes back, so since you've been purified, and then it says love one another constantly, and then in our passage now it says uh, that, that we are to love each other constantly and, and because you have been born again, because you've been born again, not a perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So what, what is this imperishable versus perishable seed that we're talking about? Uh, he's talking about flesh uh, versus the spirit. There is an imperishable seed. Listen, when, when we are born Right, when, when, when the culmination of our, our conception happens and we are born out of our mother's womb, we begin to die. That seed is perishable. It cannot sustain life eternally. But by God's Spirit and by God's grace, through what He has given, His seed, the Holy Spirit and the change that occurs inside of us, that is an imperishable seed. So we've been born again. Not, and this goes back to when, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about being born again. But this is not, not talking about uh, being born Another time physically, it's talking about being born again uh, spiritually. You've been, you have not, uh, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So it's not only telling us that it's, it's living and it's imperishable, it's telling us what it is. It's the living in, in, word of God, the enduring word of God. That's the, the message. And again, verse 25 says uh, that it's, it's the, the gospel that was proclaimed to you, this gospel. Uh, Romans tells us it's the power of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who would believe. And then he, he gives a proof text. He takes a passage out of Isaiah 40 and says, here, here, just like this, we'll see, you know, the things around us physically, all flesh is like grass. It counts for nothing. It ultimately will die. It withers and fades, and, fa- and flowers will lose their glory. It will fall. But in verse 25, the word of the Lord endures forever. It's the one that endures forever. It's eternal. It, it stands true forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. There's, there's power in the Word of God to enable us to rid ourselves of those things, to put away those things, and to put on something new. The Word of God is transformative. We see in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, it says, In Him, that is Jesus, you are also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when. So when did this transformation take place? When did this eternal destiny take place when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and when you believed and the holy spirit is a down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory saying listen this this seed this this salvation that's offered uh, through christ jesus by the power of his word and the power of his spirit is what is eternal and there's a hope in that that is eternal as well there's power in the word of god unto salvation, and that is an eternal destiny for us. John said, he talks about the power of the word of God. He, he starts out just Jesus' high priestly prayer. In verse 14, he says, 
uh, he's praying to the Father. I've given them, talking about his disciples, I've given them your word. Well, that's interesting. Well, why? So let's see what he says. Why? He's building on this. He says, the world hated them because they are not of the world, right? The strangers and exiles. Just as I am not of the world. Jesus understood he was not of the world. He came into the world. Then he says, I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Interesting to know. Uh, I think many Christians like to say, well, I, I need to be as removed as I can from the world. I'm going to homeschool every child. I'm going to have a home church every week. I'm, I'm going to try to be uh, in business with only Christian people. I'm going to try to stay away as best I can and just co-op with Christ followers. That sounds like a great thing. It sounds kind of like heaven. But God has left us in this world right now. We are not in heaven now. We yield ourselves to his will and his kingdom, but we are living as strangers and exiles in this world. We aren't called to be of the world. We're called to be in the world. Jesus says, they are not of the world, just as I'm not uh, of the world, but sanctify them by the truth. Your word is true. So what's the power of the word? The power is this, that as you and I are strangers and exiles in this world, not away from the world, but in this world, we live as though we are not of this world and it's not our home. And we live that way by the power of the word of God. Your word, he says, is truth. He says, as you sent me into the world, I've also sent them into the world. And Jesus said, I sanctify myself for them. That word sanctify means I, I've set myself apart. I've, I have a purpose. I'm, I, I'm making sure I'm doing what I'm called to do. And Jesus, what, what, how did he sanctify himself? He set himself apart to lay himself down, to lay his life down. So he says, I, I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. So Jesus is sanctified and different. He's in the world, but not of the world. And he says, for you and I, the power for us to live that way is through the word of God, that, that the word of God is what will set us apart. Refer back to last week's message, the idea of, of being sober-minded, that we, we go to the word of God and let the power of the word of God be what, what directs our life, be what causes us to see the world in, a, in a, the view and through the view and lenses of scripture. That's what we're to do. It's powerful. The, the word of God is powerful. Hebrews tells us that the Word of God is living and it's effective. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates as far as separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and attitude of the heart. I, I know there are, are lots of people who I, I've talked to and who say, listen, I, I, I didn't really understand the Word of God, but I opened it one day with an open heart and I wanted to know, and a verse popped out to me and I read it and it just changed everything. It changed the course of my life, just going to the Word of God. There is something amazing and amazingly powerful about the Word of God. So much so, the, the uh, writer of, of Romans, Paul, he, he writes to the Romans, he says, don't be conformed to this age, right? Be strangers and exiles. But how do we do that? By being transformed by the renewing of our mind. So we go to the Word and we let it renew our mind. But see, this goes back to the if. Have you been transformed by God's Word? Well, you have if you've tasted and seen. You have if you've, if, you've, if you've been satisfied by what the Word of God and by what Jesus offers. But if you haven't been transformed by the Word, you've got a question. That if is very, very much an if for you. If you've tasted and seen, then you have been transformed by the Word. Finally, number three, if you have tasted, you'll desire to grow. You'll desire to grow. If we continue on here in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 2 in 1 Peter, it says this, Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, if 
you have tasted that the Lord is good. So you'll desire to grow. See, God has caused us to be born again by his word. And, and now Peter tells us that, that his word, through which we have received this new life, right? The gospel is the power of God and his salvation. The word of God has changed us and transformed us. And we've, it's driven us to our knees in humility to receive Christ as Savior. We've repented of our sin and been totally changed and transformed. We have a new life by the power of the word. And Peter says, by that same word, it's the same word that will sustain you throughout your time living as strangers and exiles. It's not a once and done thing. It's not saying, hey, listen, I'm going I'm to have the word of God be impactful for my life so I, I come to faith in Christ and then I'm done. He says, because you have faith in Christ, because the word was so powerful then, it's just as powerful now to continue to build you up and encourage you and strengthen you as you need to be strengthened. And it says, like newborn infants desire or crave the pure milk of the word so that you might grow up in your salvation. This, this phrase, newborn infants, is connecting uh, this, this chapter 2 directly back to the last section in chapter 1 where it talks about being born again, like we were born again. It's a reference to being born again, right? Uh, it, but it's not saying, here's what it's not saying, because Paul at times will write, and he'll, he'll, he'll tell Christians, stop being babies, right? Stop drinking just the milk. Get on the solid food. You need to move on to, to meat and potatoes. Start chewing on some deeper stuff. This is not any reference to that at all. When Peter says this, he says, uh, like newborn infants, he's not saying that these Christians are immature baby Christians. A lot of these are Christians that have been, been Christ followers for three decades. They, they know Jesus. They know their salvation. What he's saying is, is, like newborn infants, you should crave the Word of God in the same way they crave their mother's milk. It, it's a craving analogy. It's necessity analogy. It's the nourishment analogy is what we're looking at here. It's not calling you and I babies. It's saying we should, like babies, need, desire, crave the nourishment that only the Word of God can provide. Remember, it's the same Word that was read or spoke to us and that caused us to be born again. And now it is the nourishment that will help us grow. Sadly, impure milk is readily available. It's interesting you see this, this new milk trend and phenomenon. I guess it's more new, but back in the day it was just cow's milk. That's what you drink. But now there's almond milk and there's rice milk and there's soy milk and all of these milks to cater to different allergies or tastes or desires and whims. There's all, same is true with, uh, with the Word of God. We have, we have the lenses of Scripture to look through. We have the, the nourishment from the Word of God that we can gain but sadly, there's a lot of impure milk available that doesn't satisfy the same way. And you and I have to discern. We have to be discerning as strangers and exiles what is true and what is not true. As, as Luke writes in the book of Acts in chapter 20, he says, uh, he, he writes this down, uh, talking of Paul, I, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Not just that they're out and about in the community somewhere that we live, it's that they'll be among us, in our midst. They'll come from among us, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up from your own number, and they will distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, because of that, be on the alert, remembering that night and day, uh, for three years, I had never stopped warning each one of you with tears. And now I commit you to God. So here's what he says. He said, listen, 
there's a lot of impure milk out there. There's a lot of places that you could go. But here's what I'm committing to you. I commit you to, to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. He's saying, listen, the word of God is what's going to build you up. The word of God is going to make sure you maintain that place and that position as exiles and strangers set apart for God's own purposes. And listen, all of this, all of, all of these things we've looked at today, it all comes from our tasting and seeing the goodness of God. And, and that's the if. Have you tasted and seen the goodness of God? Because if you have, then as strangers and exiles, we will look much differently. If we've tasted, then we'll show sincere love for one another. If we've tasted, we will have been transformed by the word of God. And if you've tasted, you will desire, crave to grow all because of the goodness of God. Psalm 103, 11 through 12 says this, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. This is the goodness of God. This is the graciousness of God. He is good and faithful to forgive sin. There's no one bigger, no one better, no one more satisfying than God. Listen, believers in Jesus Christ have experienced a taste of God's grace in their lives. And they've been satisfied by God's grace. Now, God's grace is no excuse for you and I as strangers and exiles to behave like the rest of the world now. The goodness and grace of God should now then be our greatest incentive to spiritual growth, transformation, and obedience. I hope that you could say, not if, but because I've tasted and seen. I am a stranger in exile. I am totally different, transformed, and desire to grow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that, that you've given us this example and this model, God, based on the goodness and grace of, of God. And, and as you've given us this gift through Jesus Christ, I pray that, that we would understand how how deeply powerful that gift is and how deeply powerful the Word of God now is to continue to help us grow into the men and women you've called us to be, that we would not look like the world. We would live as strangers and exiles in a world that's not our home, sincerely loving one another, being transformed by the Word of God and, and desiring, craving to grow. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.